Deep in the farthest recesses of the most distant jungle lies a city. A city populated by the most mysterious, terrifying, and downright grotesque denizens ever seen by mortal eye. Here, in the darkened corners of this cavernous locale sits an ordinary, average brick building with an innocuous, ordinary, average, blinking neon sign which reads, On Air. It is here where each week, Seth Breedlove and Mark Matsky convene to discuss the greatest mysteries the world has ever known. Now, strap on your hiking boots, grab your trusty walking stick, and don't forget your machete as we begin our journey through Monsteropolis. Hey guys, this is Seth. This is Tommy. And this is Monsteropolis, a show about anomalies, legends, and monsters. This is a very special episode. This was not planned as being this week's episode, but um, our friend Eleanor Haskin was in town on Monday, and we had a really great uh, conversation. Um, This was actually an interview she conducted with me for her dissertation, Um, so we are going to use that as this week's episode. Keep in mind, this is a really informal, relaxed uh, kind of talk, Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, it's it's just us talking, chatting uh, back and forth as old friends, so, um, but it gets into some really interesting uh, aspects of storytelling and legend and folktale and things like that. And uh, we also talk a lot about uh, the Mothman, but this is also very frank. Um, and I just thought our, yeah, our, and Tommy's not on it, but uh, he would love to be. Um, but this is that conversation, uh, almost unedited, honestly. Um, but I think you guys will enjoy it. And uh, we will be back next week with a normal episode of Monsteropolis. Okay, I am here with Seth Breedlove. It is May 26th, 2020. We're in Wadsworth, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Do you mind telling me your name and spelling it for me? Uh, My name is Seth Breedlove. S-E-T-H-B-R-E-E-D-L-O-V-E. Beautiful, thank you. Now you know, this is fun (laughs) for me because it's like when I had to interview you in LA. It's more awkward. (laughs) interviewing someone you know yeah because also you've probably had those conversations before yeah because you and then you so you're rehashing bs i don't know it's <laughs> i think it's way more awkward for me to interview people i'm like friends with than yeah. it is like people i don't know. i would agree 100 percent. this is also the second time i've interviewed you because the first time was for my podcast because i think you did i think you, inter- you interviewed me at the the cafe in Point Pleasant, but mm-hmm. I think we also talked. Oh yeah, but that disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. So rip that. So I'm also supposed to ask you your age, hometown. Okay. Uh, 38. Was born October 10th, 1981, and my hometown is Bolivar, Ohio. Where is that in relation to where we are right now? Um, so it's like probably close to an hour south of here, southeast of here. Okay. So it's like below Canton, 
home in the football hall of fame how did you pick wadsworth uh adrian's parents are here oh so beautiful really selling it yeah okay <clears throat> so uh what would you say is your job how would you describe it and what um, would you call yourself i'll make movies okay yeah <laughs> i make movies uh how, what was the other part how would you describe it the describe the your job <laughs> well i mean how do you mean like like it's okay so what does it say on facebook is your profession i'm a filmmaker okay um and i run a company that makes independent films about bizarre subject matter okay. the reason it's hard for me is like I don't see us making documentaries only forever, so I don't like to like we're working on a on a narrative right now. Like there's a script being written, so like we're moving out of just documentaries. Mm -hmm. So, documentarian is not a good way to describe you anymore. Yeah, it is right okay. now. I just don't <laughs> want to be like pigeonholed as like this guy just makes. I mean, that's all I do. But <laughs> this guy, this guy just makes whatever like documentaries about Bigfoot or something. Well, it's definitely not just about Bigfoot. Yeah. But at the same time, I guess I don't really care. <laughs> okay. Well, my goal is for On the Trail Of to get away from editing On the Trail Of. Really? So, yeah. So, like, I am I mean, for the foreseeable future, I'm still editing everything. Mm -hmm. But the editing is what I would really, really like to get away from. Because the movies, I'm good with editing. But... If On the Trail Of really is, like, where we can kind of branch out and, like, mm -hmm. open it up to other people, then I would like On the Trail Of to have, then it doesn't matter as much as if it's, like, my voice directing it. Mm -hmm. And I've always said, like, editing is the directing of a documentary, at least in the way that we do. Hmm. Because we don't, I don't, there's no directing that goes on with a documentary. Mm -hmm. Not the way we make them. I've never understood how how a filmmaker gets the credit of directing a documentary because the only directing comes in the in the in post like it doesn't actually it's not like when you're shooting interviews you're telling people like what to do or say or whatever mm -hmm. um and the story the way i edit is where the story comes together mm. i don't go into a movie with like the story in my head already Hmm. It, like, comes in the edit. So do you even do planning as to, like, how the interviews will fit together prior to the it interviews themselves? It depends on the interview. Got it. Yeah, because, like, Heather's... See, it was, it's different for, like, what I just did with Heather mm -hmm. and Steve because we were into the edit, so I knew what I needed. Oh. Uh, but with, like, Jeff and Ashley and stuff, you have I have a vague idea. Like, with Jeff and Ashley, Wamsley... The movie's called The Mothman Legacy. The legacy in the title doesn't refer to the Mothman or, like, his whatever, the Mothman's legacy. It's The Mothman Legacy in the title is Jeff and Ashley. Hmm. So it's, like, Jeff's legacy, you know, and what that means to Ashley and what Ashley's legacy. Well, it's about, it's a movie about family. But, um, I don't know what I was talking about. Oh, <laughs> oh, but so, so like, going into their interviews, I kind of had an idea of what, like, I want them to talk about each other mm -hmm. and some stuff like that. And I also knew that, like, the movie was going to dive into more of, like, the theories about what Mothman might be and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So you have them talk about those things. But you 
you don't know until you get into post how it's going going to flow. Because hmm. like if I if I if I took the same storytelling device from movie from documentary to documentary, it wouldn't work. This like I wouldn't be able to take the way we broke up the story in like terror and mm-hmm. use it in Mothman Legacy. Um, and same with like Mothman and Point Pleasant. Mm-hmm. Mothman and Point Pleasant was all geared around that thirteen months and like build and, and, and during the edit, like I was very consciously trying to make it feel like everything's building up to the Silver Bridge collapse and like mm-hmm. Brandon was doing that, that with the music, the music keeps accelerating. So when you finally hit the bridge collapse and then the um it is well with my soul plays like after mm-hmm. the bridge has collapsed that was supposed to feel like an uh, like you were exhaling for the first time hmm. was like what we had talked about so like the whole movie's supposed to feel like you're really building towards something and then when it hits you you wouldn't be able to do that with the mothman legacy really because so you don't have that same you don't have the same chronological storytelling device and also you just don't you're not building to a big event like that mm-hmm so when did you decide to make the Mothman of Point Pleasant? Uh, we were, so during the making of Boggy Creek, we were already, it might have even been as far back as Whitehall, we were talking about doing Mothman as soon as we were done with Boggy. And yeah, it would have been during the making of Whitehall that we started about it. So it was the same year that we started SDM. We were talking about Mothman mm-hmm. because we knew we were doing, we had done Minerva, we were doing Whitehall, we were going to do Boggy, mm-hmm. and we didn't want to get pigeonholed as like Bigfoot documentarians. <laughs> um, so we were talking about it during the making of Whitehall, and I and actually, the other thing we were talking about during the, the making of Whitehall that never percolated was... Um, uh, there's a movie that came out in the 80s called The McPherson Tapes. I don't know if you've heard of it. There, it's just getting a big like Blu-ray re-release. And it is technically, or not technically, I mean, it's like the first found footage movie. So hmm. it's a movie about a family that's like abducted by aliens or something. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to make a movie about that movie, like about the making of it and stuff. And it was going to be an STM movie, but it was going to be completely different from anything else we'd done we never did that but we did talk about doing mothman and um so it would have been 2015 when we first talked about it and then 2016 um we were still talking about it with lyle and everything during the making of boggy creek monster and then we didn't know what was going to happen because back then we weren't on streaming platforms Mm -hmm. so we were surviving dvd sale to dvd sale on our movies and it was just like real money was real tight so 2016 um we were we we adrian found out she was pregnant Mm -hmm. and this was in the summer of 2016 and i wanted to put out uh, Boggy Creek Monster immediately. So we gave ourselves like a month and a half to edit and put out the entire movie, which explains a lot of the issues with the movie. <laughs> but like we put it out in, no- it came out November 11th of 2017, the same day Trump was elected. Was the day that it, or yeah, the same day that the election went off and Trump was elected was the day the movie came out, which 
destroyed the movie. I mean, the movie yeah. did not do well because um, no, we couldn't get publicity. We're getting buried in media. Mm-hmm. And that was back in the day where I was like really convinced that local media coverage was the reason for our success because mm-hmm. that's what we thought with Minerva. So anyway, like we put it out and we in November. So that was November 11th on like November 15th, which is the same day that Scarberry's Mallet saw. Mm-hmm. Right. November mm-hmm. 15th. Zach and I were in Point Pleasant. Might be remembering this wrong. November 15th. I went to Point Pleasant with my parents. That's what it was. To talk to Jeff Wamsley about whether or not I th- that he thought there was enough content for a movie. Considering the story had already been covered sort of ad nauseum by a billion different people. And um, he said yes. So that was like where I first became aware that we could potentially make a movie about it. Hmm. And then December 15th is the bridge collapse. Mm -hmm. That was the first day we rolled any sort of film on the Mothman of Point Pleasant. Were either of those dates intentional? No. Just no, no. And I mean, we had, we've had that happen with Mothman ever since. So like, um, we ended up filming again on December 15th. Hmm. Um, when we shot the Mothman Legacy, hmm. we were in Charleston doing our interviews and everything. So the first weekend of filming was just, and that's all purely coincidental. I didn't ever intend that. Um, and there's been other, a lot of other things. I can't think. Well, like the 15 year anniversary mm-hmm. of the Mothman Prophecies movie was the same winter that we released, or the same year that we released. The Mothman of Point Pleasant was hmm. the 15 year, which also happened to be the 50th year anniversary of the bridge collapse, or, the, or maybe it was the 50th year of the Scarberry Mountain. I think it was the sighting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, all these little coincidences kept kept happening. What attracted you all to the Mothman story to be the next film? Yeah, it's the, um, it's laid out like a movie. Like, it just is. The, the beginning middle and end are so clear mm-hmm. it's one of the weirdest things about the mothman case is like you've got your initial sighting you've got a, an acceleration of events and things getting stranger and stranger and then you've got the bridge collapse mm-hmm. and i remember we i kept watch. i love the mothman prophecies movie so i watched it numerous times leading up to the making of our movie Mm -hmm. and that's like one of the things that they get so right with that movie is just like you feel like the events in that thing are accelerating Mm -hmm. but it's not real i mean it's not a documentary and i i was interested to see if we could do that with a documentary too because i'd never really seen a documentary where it felt like the pacing was almost like a movie Hmm. like a narrative movie Mm -hmm. so yeah it was it was that and then just like um I was really excited about, not excited, but I was really passionate about getting to do the bridge collapse. And the reason was that speaks to my personal interests or style much more than something like a scary monster chasing people through the woods. Hmm. So the human tragedy of like what happened there. Mm Mm-hmm like spoke to emo seth and like my my desire to like do something that was really emotional like that Mm -hmm. so 
And then Jeff gave us that footage that had never been seen before of like the bridge collapse after the day after the bridge collapse that his uncle had shot. And we get, we did the it as well for some reason it is well with my soul is in my head for that scene from the beginning. Really. In fact, like yeah, I cut a version of that scene that had a really cool like vocal version of that song. I can't remember who it was. It was like a '70s blues singer or something. Hmm. It was so good. Um, but yeah, it was it was that story and just the idea. Brandon and I talked about it a lot during the making. It was like that feeling like you're racing towards something the entire movie. Hmm. So, and I don't think it's overt. Mm-mm. The t- all these little elements are there to help that along. Hmm. that pacing kind of pushing you towards something. So like the timeline is in there because of that. Mm-hmm. Like all these things are just constantly reminding you of there's a time element to the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you feel like the structure of the Mothman story as people know it is influenced by Keel? Yeah. How so? Um, well, I don't know that it's maybe he was the first one to like point it out or something, mm-hmm. but there's, but I would have to say it's because of him that people are, are as aware of it. Because you had the you have this thirteen month time frame, the number thirteen is you know, an omen or whatever, a bad number. Um you've you had the So the only thing about that is I don't know that I've actually seen people other than us really point out how weird things were getting. I'm not saying like that's like we take credit for that but i'm saying like i mean things were real weird and i'm also wondering well i guess mothman prophecies movie did that but like did keel it's been a while since i've read mothman prophecies but did keel point out like the an acceleration of the events i don't feel like he did maybe so see i always felt like the there was things just kept getting stranger because so well because you start out with like so 60 November. Okay. So November you've got Scarberry and Mallets get chased by a, a, a red eyed creature in their car, mm-hmm. which is weird. But there's at that point in time, there's numerous other cases that are really similar. Mm-hmm. You've, you've got like Monroe, Michigan monster. You've got like all these monster stories around the same time that, that aren't that dissimilar from that. I mean, even the Falk monster stuff was happening in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Spotsville monster. There's there's a lot of like monster stories from that same time period or earlier mm-hmm. that are really similar to that one story. So that's weird, but it's not insane. It's not. It doesn't. But then like so that happens, and then things start getting stranger because you start introducing introducing the um, the uh, Men in Black into the story mm-hmm. and. The the sightings get stranger. I always think of the one that happened in like the um, the it was the next summer, the summer of sixty seven, <clears throat> where the hunters see the hairy winged Bigfoot mm-hmm. um, Mothman hybrid, mm-hmm. and that monster like informed the way I had Brandon draw the Mothman in all of the sketches he did. Really, That's why it looks at, like it has fur? Yeah, because I thought that story that was so weird. But I mean that. You had Tad Jones finding the weird dog footprint things, you know, after his sighting of the Mothman. You had, mm-hmm. I, I just feel like the stories get stranger and stranger. And there's more going on. You start, you know, mm-hmm. um, the men in black become 
more prominent in the story. UFO activity keeps up. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing, maybe the, maybe the activity wasn't really rapidly accelerating in strangeness, but you were having the media focus more and more on stuff too. Mm -hmm. Although that dies off in the summer of 67. Mm -hmm. But around town, I think things were, I think there was still a lot of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. You had more and more. Well, just too, by the nature of the posses forming mm -hmm. and starting to go out in the woods, that'll push the um, acceleration, like escalation, I guess would be a better way to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one thing that you hear a lot is that there were hundreds of Mothman sightings between 66 and 67. Mm -hmm. I've asked Ashley and Jeff about it like yeah. where are yeah have you come across hundreds no so that's been my biggest issue with it mm -hmm. and and steve and i talked about it at lunch this steve ward and i talked about it so i asked him the same question and he said he, he was like well i think it's a hundred or more and i was like no it's like he's always said it was hundreds he indicated it was 200 in that area of reports so who's reporting to whom? Well, Steve claims that Keel wasn't great about keeping notes and all that stuff. And I don't know that that's true either. So I contacted Doug Skinner back when we were making Mothman of Point Pleasant. And that was the first thing I asked him is like, there's supposedly 200 reports of the Mothman in that neighborhood. Like 200, somewhere around 200 reports, not in one neighborhood. <laughs> uh so where are Keel's notes on those, you know, on those reports? And he so his claim is that during the height of Keel's investigation into the Mothman stuff, he visited Washington, D.C. And this is in the Mothman Prophecies book, offhandedly, I think. Someone broke into his car and stole his files. Mm -hmm. And the files that would have been in the car were, would have been, according to Doug Skinner, his Mothman files so potentially when those got taken we lost d all the, the extra documentation about the mothman that keel would have been hmm. talking about and and i will never buy 200 reports i just don't think that happened i don't think there were 200 reports of the mothman how many do you think around obviously you can't get 60 or 70 that's still a lot but it also depends on what you're counting as a Mothman report. Because, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, like we mentioned the three birds, the three big birds that were sitting in the tree near Hawking, mm -hmm. and it's on the timeline. Like, that, I don't, I don't think that gets chalked up as a Mothman report too often. Yeah. Um, so that's one, that is one of my questions. It's, you know, as you know, when you look back at the archival reports, they call it the bird. Mm-hmm. Where does the name the Mothman come from, and what gets lumped into that Mothman category? Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a. It's. Do we have the first newspaper that, article that supposedly called it the Mothman? Wasn't it in Charleston? Do you have you ever seen it? Is it in the museum? I think it might be in the museum. Okay. But I don't have a copy with me. Yeah, I don't want to speak on this because I don't know for sure when it first showed up mm -hmm. or why. They say the Batman TV show had something to do with it. I don't... There's no Mothman villain. There's there a, is a character named Mothman. There's Moth a Man. villain called the Moth. Oh. There's no Mothman in Batman. There never has been. There's a Moth... A guy called the Moth. 
Yeah. So maybe because of the moth and Batman, they just combined Mothman. Um, the reports don't sound at all like a moth either. Like the reports were of a... Well, that's the other thing, though. It's, it kind of depends on what report we're talking about because not mm -hmm. all the reports sound all that similar mm -hmm. to me. So, yeah, I don't know where that originated or... or I don't know how to quantify what they were seeing either, or, mm -hmm. or I guess like categorize what they were seeing because there's also, um, Tom Yuri's sighting sounds like a Thunderbird, mm -hmm. like a huge, massive bird. Um, one of those reports was of more like a pterosaur. Um, and Lee Wilson, who we interview in the new movie, she, what she described hearing and then seeing reminded her of a of a pterodactyl in a movie she only saw the bottom half of it though but hmm. she thought it looked like a pterodactyl hmm. so so all that stuff got lumped together i think in the 60s which is why you've got maybe so many reports maybe like anything being seen i mean you had the guys the two hunters that were in the um not hunters uh volunteer firemen mm -hmm. can't remember their names i interviewed one of them on the phone he wouldn't do an interview for the movie but that's a really famous sighting that gets recounted all the time it's like a mothman sighting the guys that in 66 they went into the tnt area mm -hmm. to they were tasked with like helping run people out of the tnt area that were staying there too long and um they said they saw a giant owl. Mm -hmm. That's what they saw. That's what they said they saw is like a giant owl. But that mm -hmm. gets lumped in with the Mothman reports as well. Maybe the giant owl was had like red eyes and was was had a twenty foot wingspan or whatever. <laughs> but I talked to that dude on the phone and he just laughed. He's like, no one was seeing the moth. There's no such thing as the Mothman. What we saw was a big owl, and that's probably what everyone else around the area was seeing. Hmm. That's how he. It. so why didn't he want to be on camera um he doesn't he is like one of those he's still in point pleasant and he's one of those point pleasant people that doesn't want anything to do with the mothman thinks it's like a hindrance huh. to their town's success and like stuff like that how many people have you run across in point pleasant that really do feel that way you mean just people yeah people i mean it's a lot of people mm-hmm but I mean, every town, every town we've been to to make movies like that. The worst is Louisiana, Missouri, mm -hmm. where Momo is. Like you'll nine out of ten people want you to leave town and never talk about Momo again. Hmm. So, yeah, I think with Mothman, it's it's a weird. It's the older generation, though, for sure. It's not. It's not the younger generation in Point Pleasant that I've run across anyway who think it's. Like a negative. I think the younger generation gets it as a mm -hmm. as a tourist opportunity, um, and that's like, and I, and I, the downside to that is people like that Thomas woman I told you about that saw the, you know, those people are dying too, and they're not talking about it because they th see it all as a negative to the town, hmm. and in my opinion, like those people could potentially help to set the record straight about what was seen. It wouldn't necessarily have to damage the Mothman's reputation or mm -hmm. pop culture or whatever popularity mm -hmm. if we knew that it was actually just an owl that people were seeing or something really you don't think that would harm the legend no one's gonna believe it hmm. 
people like us would be, know the truth. But if you found out tomorrow the Mothman was an owl, is that going to... What's that going to do? Like, is that going to change your opinion of that story? No. No, it's not no. going to change my opinion either. And the kids on Tumblr who are posting, like, Mothman porn, it's like, they don't care. <laughs> well, to them, it's a giant moth. Sure. I don't think there's... Yeah. So that's something I've been curious about. And I know you and I have talked about it, but it seems like the pop culture love is very devoid of the actual stories. Yeah. Which I don't, but I, I've stayed out of, you're way more knowledgeable about that stuff than I am. Cause I, I really just, I see it. I see it when we put a movie out kind of, you know, because like mm-hmm. Mothman, the Mothman of Point Pleasant or the Flatwoods monster, mm-hmm. those are big, like cult for whatever reason, they're cultural kind of icons in a way, a subcultural icon. Um, <clears throat> but I don't really know. I don't know. I do know that when they talk about the actual stories, they get everything wrong. Like everything wrong. Like really people saw the Mothman on the bridge the day the bridge collapsed and like that kind of stuff. And that's like, you know, and I think like the last batch of movies we've made is, is about that. Like the fact that no matter what you do, how, how honestly you tell a story, how, Honestly, you document something or get the original witnesses to talk about it. There will still be a version of that story that exists that's probably more popular than the real one hmm. that has n- no basis in reality. Do you, Have you ever had people tell you that you have the story wrong? Yeah. The Mothman story? Or yeah. Any? any of them, I guess, but Mothman specifically. Yeah. every. I mean, I think every movie we... With the Flatwoods, people were very upset that... We didn't, we didn't um, portray the mo- the monster with like its long claws, which we did. Mm-hmm. But I, well, that didn't happen. I have to use flat ones because that's the You're best good. example. When when you've grown up hearing that story, which mm-hmm. is how people in West Virginia, I think they know a lot about Flatwoods Monster and they hear a lot about it growing up. It, it's weird. To suddenly be told an alternate version of that story that doesn't sound anything like what you've been told your whole life. Hmm. So our story of the Flatwoods Monster was like, it begins with a version that they might be more aware of. Mm -hmm. With like the monster in the woods and it's got green claws and it's, you know, like whatever. But um, the story that Ed and Fred, who were actually there and saw it, Mm -hmm. tell is that they saw what looked like a... 11 foot rocket hmm. in the woods and so people get defensive of the legend that they've grown up hearing hmm. and that's what they so you're wrong like even though even though the witnesses <laughs> are, are telling it this way they're wrong huh because they're you know you're defending the story that you grew up mm-hmm. hearing about um I'm trying to think of like, I mean, I think when it, with the Mothman, the thing that there's two, two aspects to that story that people get defensive of. One is the cornstalk curse, which is BS. And the other is the harbinger of doom aspect of the story. The people saw the Mothman flying over the bridge right before the bridge collapsed mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And you have, I've seen some people online that I know our investigators claim that they have taken accounts from people who've seen the Mothman on the bridge or around mm-hmm. the bridge. And even Marcella Bennett 
claims mm-hmm. that her uncle, I think it was, saw the Mothman on or near the bridge. Like roosting kind of, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. The, and, like and, on the 13th. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a little clip from that interview I might have to use in the movie, actually, because she talks, she tells that story mm-hmm. um, on video. And I've, it's part of that same interview we ran in the Mothman of Point Pleasant. I've got it towards the back. She talks about it. She also, also gets into some descriptions about it where she talks about how it looked like the devil and all the stuff that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. What's your take on the Harbinger of Doom stuff? Um, I get, I think I understand it better now. Than I did when we made the Mothman and Point Pleasant. When when we made the Mothman and Point Pleasant, I was very. I didn't want to go there because we really wanted to steer clear of any like speculation, or it was basically just like put out what supposedly happened during that time period, and that's like going to be the movie. And I was also like offended by it in a way because I feel like it it does overshadow. It tends to overshadow the actual deaths that took place and like the loss of lives and stuff that happened and um so i get where it came from i get why it's popular i don't buy into i mean personally i don't buy into it all but i don't know if i even buy into mothman as a as a thing because i think the mothman's many different things really that's like what we were talking about with categorizing things like Mm -hmm. You know, like when I made Terror in the Skies, I said after the fact, I totally buy into Thunderbirds as, as a thing. I 100. Right I think that I think that there's a genuine, there's a real physical reality to that phenomenon that might be as simple as like abnormally sized mutated bird, not mutated, but you know what I mean? Yeah, like, like a huge bird. That, yeah, like a bird that's that's born and just keeps growing or something i mean it happens with people it happened with the thing about alton that was so interesting is that that was the home of that dude the like oh, the, the really tallest tall man yeah, yeah and and it was such a good like illustration of well maybe what if the same thing happened with a bird like mm-hmm. what if a bald eagle like grew to an abnormally large size so yeah um so i think there could be like multiple phenomena happening and they're all just being lumped into like people are seeing mothman hmm. i don't know what that you know i don't know what that entails what was the question you had asked that i started talking about that i was talking about the harbinger of doom stuff like yeah. what's your take on it yeah i just i think um i think most of it has become has grown out of the movie the movie or the book the movie okay. so the i mean and obviously the book is or the movie's drawing on the front drawing on on what's in the book but if you read the book, the book is called The Mothman Prophecies. But to me, it's not as overt as the movie makes it. Like, the movie becomes much more about... There's a... there's, It's like a dooms, doomsayer. Like, it's here mm-hmm. to tell you that you're, people are going to die and this is going to happen. I think the book's more vague about it, in a way. But I haven't... Again, I haven't read the book in a long time, so I might be totally wrong about that. I think the thing the book does that's interesting more than that is extends Mothman outside of Point Pleasant. Yeah. Like to Coney Island. Yeah. To Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And then there are some other places too. Yeah. Which that's something else I wanted to talk about, which maybe this is not the right moment to, but what do you, what is your take on when other phenomena get assigned Mothman outside of Point Pleasant? So like, let me rephrase. So if what's happening in Point Pleasant in the surrounding area 
is more than just like the Mothman as like a singular creature and rather mm. a bunch of creatures. Yeah. What are your feelings on or towards all these other creatures that are sighted around the world that are now labeled Mothman? Like Chicago. I mean, with Chicago's weird to me still because I don't know what I think of it anymore. And now I don't know. There's so many reports and so many of them have been documented by people I know now mm-hmm. that I'm kind of, I'm a little more open to it. So I'm excited to make that movie because I think the Lake Michigan movie, because I think we can, I'll learn a lot while I'm doing it, which is cool. Well, I mean, it goes back to that categor- categorizing thing that we were talking about because like, those site the, the sightings in Hawking. You mm-hmm. mentioned Kentucky. I'm not sure what you're. Yeah, there's a site. I'm gonna grab my water real quick. But there's a sighting in Northern Kentucky. I'd like to know about that one then. Is it? Yeah, in? it's in the archives. Okay. I can send you the article. So I think that's pop. I think that's also just popularity of the story. It's like Bigfoot sightings or, um, so the Flatwoods Monster, right? Like probably super popular in in that area mm-hmm. so when bigfoot sightings started happening in the 70s mm-hmm. in braxton county they the newspaper articles all said the return of the flatwoods monster so they're just describing a title to something without any basis there's no reason to hmm. to describe bigfoot as the flatwoods monster because <laughs> physically they're, they're totally different descriptions but that's what the media did and i think that happens all around now i'm not sure if all if what you're talking about was covered by the media or not like the kentucky thing it was the article i have on it's from the point pleasant register about two men on a train in northern kentucky Uh, yeah i need that is it 60s yeah it's 66 i read every point pleasant register from november of 1966 to December of 1967. I need I need post 67 is what I'm still trying to find. Um, yeah, so I don't know why that happens other than branding. I mean, it might help. It's going to help sell papers for one thing. If it's in the media, it's it's done to help sell papers. So, is there one sighting that you can think of that's like the stereotypes in the case of like Chicago? I'm sorry, you're I'm, good. But cool. like for real, like that's why is is. Mm-hmm. It's a branding thing more than anything. So is there one sighting to you that's like the prototypical Mothman and everything else is just kind of like media hype to lump that in together? From 66? No, um, just any time. Well, the Scarberry Mallet sighting, you know, because that's like, that's the one that kickstarted it in the mm-hmm. media. Do you see other stories that follow the same narrative as the Scarberry Mallet sighting? Yeah, I mean that. That's what's interesting about the one with that we inter- the lady we interviewed for this movie, mm-hmm. where she's talking about like how it landed on the car and then was like holding you know, on or holding whatever onto the car as they tried to get away from it. And there were other stories about people being chased in cars at that time too. Your problem is there's also stories about people being chased in cars by Bigfoot at the same time in point pleasant no but around this around the country at Mm -hmm. that same point in time that was like a popular scary story it was Hmm. like a monster chasing a car so the scarberry mallets is interesting too because of the impact it seemed to have on linda like psychologically or whatever where she 
is convinced that like she continued seeing the Mothman after the sightings, where she's like looking out her window and there it is outside of her house or whatever. But from what you were telling me yesterday, that seems like that might be part of it, where some people have multiple sightings. Um, and the thing is, the thing about that story that's weird though, there's a fifth dude that was there that night with, with them in the car with them. Yeah, he's in the picture. I was wondering. Yeah. The the news article picture, right? Yeah. He's like standing he's by He's like them. one of their cousins. He's still alive, still living in Point. I called him twice and left him voicemails. Couldn't get him. Lauren's totally aware of this aspect of the story. Mentions it, which begs the question, why doesn't Lauren talk about this in any of his stories? But there was a fifth guy that was there that night who I feel like him, the Mallets, um, Roger, they're all alive still. Linda's the only one that's gone. And none of us can get an answer as to what happened that night. That's frustrating to me. We And I spent so much time trying to track that dude down. Then I found his number and I called his number. As far as I know, it was his number. Um, he was in the car with them. So it was the how, five of them. How is his story just completely... He's no one ever talks about it. it. Yeah. Is it because he wasn't married? Well, we didn't even mention him. Because I, you know so little about him, I didn't even know how to relay that information because you're kind of disputing the narrative that exists but we have no information on who he was why he was there why were two couples hanging out with a fifth random dude that was with them um was he in another car because if he was in another car or separate then that immediately calls him into question yeah um yeah He's a part of the story, but not a part of the story. Like, he's been left out of it. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. That really does, in a in a way, upend the whole narrative in a weird way. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's any way that necessarily calls into question what they experienced, unless, like, he says, oh, I was the one, like, scaring them or something. Yeah. Like, I was hiding. Like, I had two red flashlights. Yeah. So... But why do, why he gets left out of everything? He is, in the, he is mentioned, I think, in the initial... Newspaper report. No, it's like two couples see man-sized birds. Okay, something. I'm talking about in the actual. Oh, in the story. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Did pretty he? Sure. He didn't do a deposition, did he? Mm-mm. Well, I don't know. Maybe he did. And it's just gone. Why does? <sighs> have you talked to Jeff name? about this it? This is gonna drive me crazy. Yeah, Jeff knows about it. What does he say about it? Nothing. It's the same way with Lauren. They act like it's it's like a side, little like trivia question or something. <laughs> And, and I think there's more to that than people realize. Because, like, why does he get left out of everything? How would you define the term legend? Don't do this to me. Why would you it's do not this a, to It's me? not a quiz. It's just a... Yeah, you're, and then you're going to be like... A legend to me is a... A story that probably has some basis in reality, but it's become something wholly different from 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 reality <laughs> um interesting like verging on myth hmm. Not so quite. how would you define a myth then like what's a myth to you a myth is a story with no basis in reality <laughs> okay. uh a story with no basis in reality that is verging on religion That's not what I said. I said the opposite of that. I said verging on religion, as in, like, I guess religion's the wrong term. I don't know what I'm looking for there. 
like verging on spiritual maybe okay or like has a spiritual component that makes sense no okay uh how would you say that most people or okay wait let me pause how would you say that you most frequently learn about a new legend where do you come across new legends that you okay hear? but we're not talking about cases right we're talking about like a legend do you view cases and legends differently yeah how so um what's well, a good question it's a good question because they intersect a lot okay to me but um man i don't know it's interesting because now i'm trying to i'm like racking my brain i think i come across new legends through research for existing <laughs> things that i'm looking into and then i like find other stuff okay so a legend it's this is why I always need you to remind me of, like, what the difference is between, like, a folktale and a legend. Because, like, I can't wrap my... My brain won't accept the information and keep it in storage. It's just... very different than the popular understanding. Of yeah, it. well, it just doesn't... It just doesn't stay in my head either. Um, wait. Oh, oh. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just in researching stuff that I'm already looking into. I guess, like... Legend to, you know, Rogue's Hollow. Like, mm -hmm. we just stumbled across that place, and it's got tons of legends, mm -hmm. like, connected to it. So you got you have, like, your crybaby bridge. That case question is a good one, though. Yeah, like, what's the difference? Yeah, what is the difference? I don't know. I would, I would say... If, if you were to ask me, I would say that your films and documentaries, documentaries are about legends. Yeah, I would say the same thing. I think our website says <laughs> intersection. So then, but there's an intersection, or an intersecting of legend and case study, right? Would that be no? I think you could do a case study of legends, which I, okay. I, don't, I don't feel like the terms themselves are, necessarily are, related in the sense of like. Oh, you don't think they're related? See, well, I would not almost not think they're. I think they're almost like interchangeable because if we can't determine. Well, no, because, no, because here's the thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we know what happened from their own mouths mm -hmm. with the Scarberry Mallet sighting. Mm -hmm. We don't know what happened with the fifth guy, Paul Bunyan, and it, no, for <laughs> real, we don't know oh, what Paul happened Bunyan, with, Paul Bunyan. with Paul Bunyan and the Blue Ox. Okay, you're talking right? folk tales now. Got it. That's not a legend. Okay, so. I mean, it depends. You could make an argument for it. You can it make an argument for any into of this. Legend, though. He wasn't a real person. Paul Bunyan wasn't. I don't think so. Yeah, he was. No, he was not. Yes, he wasn't. Was eighty percent was Paul Bunyan? No, I okay. You know what, Seth? You're right. He would be a legend because the true story of this iconic figure is a little more complicated. Historians believe Bunyan was based in large part on an actual lumberjack. Fabian Fournier, a French-Canadian timberman who moved south and got a job as foreman of a logging crew in Michigan. Well, there you go. Um, it's there's, okay. there's a reason I'm friends with you. It's because you're incredibly more smart than I am on, <laughs> on these things. Hardly. No, it is a legend. On the I definition of stories. It was just a dummy. It's like a... It can't be considered an American folktale, but you can make the argument it's a legend. It doesn't matter. We're getting away from the point. No, I think it is the point, though. Like, to me, this stuff is why I'm making movies right now. Or at least not why, but, like, it's the base. It's Our movies are always about something mm -hmm. beyond a monster. And f since 
probably since Boggy, but at least since Flatwoods, it's about story. You're doing, would you say you are doing narrative studies? I don't know what that means. Okay. <laughs> not, don't I'm worry about it. I'm technically a high school dropout. Keep this in mind. <laughs> like, I'm not a smart person. I think you're a very smart person. I'm not. I you, can't. But you make sophisticated decisions in your editing and your interviews. In my interviews, <laughs> I've been chewing beef jerky and drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> okay, maybe not this interview, but interviews I've seen you do for your movies. Um, that is really interesting, though. The 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 st- the case versus legend thing mm-hmm. to me is is interesting. Like how you define those. Yeah, you're the one who brought it up. You said that you do the cases are different a little bit. I said that, but now I'm like questioning <laughs> that answer because are they? D- are they different? Because, well, I guess the difference to me is mm-hmm. we have a first-person account from the Scarberries and the Mallets of what happened that night. They could be lying, but that's mm-hmm. lying. That's not create. That's not necessarily. It can create that lie. Could create a legend. But their story is still a legend. Yes, but it's to me it, it stands apart because there's a first-hand account of it from them okay right like wouldn't that help define that differently so okay technically so whatever you think is the answer like is should, correct we should release it can i put this on monstropolis after you're done with it <laughs> sure if you want i do should probably edit out that one part yeah there's a few things like <laughs> no but so like a, there are different genres of legends, which in folklore. Okay. So there's a memorat, which is what you're thinking of. And a memorat is where someone tells their story of something unexplainable that happened to yeah, them. Okay. But it's still a legend. Then there's a fabulat, which is removed. So it's like my uncle saw this thing or okay. a friend of a so friend. Like a third person. Yeah. yeah. But it's still a legend. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's all legends. It's all legends. For real. Is yeah, it, would, no. would you So... The Scarberry Mallets, when they... Okay, is Minerva Monster a legend? Yes. So wouldn't that mean everything's a legend? No. Okay, I went I went to the bathroom this morning. Does that become a legend? <laughs> so if you were to... What defines a legend? It would have legend? to be a narrative. How do you define it? So, okay. First off, a narrative has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Okay. And legend is a genre of narrative. But there's also a genre of narrative that's like a personal story. Does that make sense? Yeah. So legends, to a degree, are almost always dealing with something supernatural, unexplainable, something you can't quite understand. Okay. And when you tell a legend, part of the definition is that the audience is asked to investigate their belief. Mm -hmm. So the audience doesn't have an assumed, like, I think this is true or not. So the storyteller knows that, and they are telling the story to negotiate that reality. Does that make sense? No. So, like, if I tell you a story about how my house in Bloomington is haunted, mm-hmm. the way I would tell the story would be with the assumption that you may or may not believe me. There's no assumed belief. Okay. And so I will use storytelling devices to try and demonstrate to you that I tested my reality. So it's more about the telling than it. Okay, then couldn't. So, in the eyes of the mallets mm-hmm. or. The Scarberries, that night was not, it's not a legend, right? Like, it's something they lived, it's not a legend to them. I think Linda would say it was. Maybe she wouldn't call it a legend. She would maybe say, because, like, if you're talking to someone who's not 
an academic, right? You're telling me, though, if you and I went out in the woods tonight and mm-hmm. we saw the Minerva monster, mm-hmm. that is a legend to you? Mm-hmm. I can't wrap my... I'm trying to wrap my brain around that, but I can't... It seems so strange to me. So there, that uh, you know the book I sent you all, the aliens, cults, and yeah. legends we live or whatever? Yeah, yeah. There's a chapter in there you should read. On... If you're interested in this, genuinely. On legend and like how folklorists define it. Yeah. Like the chapter on aliens would probably be interesting to you. Because he huh. talks about Whitney Strieber. Strieber. Huh. Whitley. Whitney. Whitley. Whitney. <laughs> Whitney. Yeah. You know, Cash. Whitley. All right. Because it's true. Because like if you think about it. So I think people would potentially find that offensive. That calling something that happened to them a legend. Because in our culture... Legends are often assumed to not be true or to not necessarily be true. Yeah. Don't you think? I mean, like, if you were to go out on the street right now and, like, ask someone. Yeah, because to me, as you're describing this to me, it sounds absurd. (laughs) (laughs) Not in a. Not not like what you're saying is absurd, (laughs) but if that's, like, how academically it's defined, that seems. So there are like a set of elements that every legend has. So it has to take place in the recent history. Okay. It has to take place in a world we recognize and understand. Oh, so would myth be then, myth is because it's old? Myth is older. And it's also, myth is the, the basis by which people understand and construct Mm -hmm. their worldview. Okay. So it's inherently so religious. So kind of right. You were that. right. I was just curious. Because most people use myth to mean untrue. Mm-hmm. But to an academic, myth is the most inherently true thing. Okay. It's like the creation stories for every major religion, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So oftentimes when people say, like, that's just a myth, what they're really referring to in academic land yeah. is like an urban legend. Okay. Which also doesn't mean it's untrue. Yeah. A journey. Yeah. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Are you super confused? No, I'm I I I find all this stuff really interesting just as a storyteller. So for me I'm a s I uh, I'm a storyteller. I don't know what I'm I don't know how to define <laughs> what I'm doing. But no, I think so when I watch your movies, the way that you tell stories I think succeeds because it's not that academic basis. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because No, but no, because, like, the stories you're telling are yeah. informed by the ways that the people you've interviewed tell them. Okay. Yeah. So, so you, yeah. Because you're not coming in with, like, a preconceived, like, this is how I have to do this or display this. It's like, this is the reality of the people okay. that I'm talking to. Yeah. And this is how I'm going to structure sharing their stories. Okay. So, I think it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what would you say are some of your favorite legends? Um, well, now that I know that the, that opens up everything, um, of the ones like you'd say we covered or no, just generally, it doesn't even have to be ones you've done movies about yeah. just you as a person. Um, like what would be the first one you have told or would tell Tommy? I mean, the Flatwoods monster, I always come back to, even though it's one we've covered. I really like that story mm-hmm. and I like meeting ed and fred was really special in a way mm-hmm. that an stm movie hasn't been special for me other than maybe minerva mm-hmm. where meeting the real people was almost like a thrill mm-hmm. i haven't had that experience before or since so 
Flatwoods. I'm trying to think because there's other stuff I love. Sleepy Hollow. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is my absolute, just because I adore the Headless Horseman. I think that concept is so cool. What about it? Just the design. Oh. <laughs> well, my <laughs> mom raised me on the Ichabod and Mr. Crane or Ichabod and Mr. Toad cartoon, oh, you know, it. like, which was like, it had the legend of sleepy hollow story and it had Mr. Toad's wild ride where Mr. Toad dies and goes to hell. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so I loved, I loved, uh, and I love new England and mm-hmm. that Hudson Valley. I mean, like Adrian mm-hmm. and I got to go to the real sleep, the week we hung out with you at Morton's thing. We got, mm-hmm. got to go to the real sleepy hollow. And I think that put that whole story in a context that I had never considered before where I literally got emotional being there because the you can see everything through Irving's eyes. So Washington Irving, my mom, everything always comes back to my mom, but my mom, I can remember like mom reading stories to us when we were, we were little. And like, um, what's the one where the guy falls asleep and wakes up 50 years later or whatever? What's the story called? He re- that's an Irving story. I can't think of the name of it. Um, shoot, that's going to drive me crazy. But anyway, Sleepy Hollow, it was weird to be there because suddenly you can literally see the landscape mm-hmm. and the layout of the story come to life mm-hmm. in front of you. And I don't know that I've ever had that experience where something I have always thought was fictional all of a sudden is in front of my eyes mm-hmm. in, on Earth. So you see the manner where this, the party would have taken place that, mm-hmm. that Ichabod leaves mm-hmm. and you could see the path he would have come down mm-hmm. where he would have gone over the bridge. The bridge is still there. Mm-hmm. Like you can picture the old Dutch cemetery and the mm-hmm. old D- Dutch church which sit right there. And that's the headless horseman rises out of the Hessian grave and comes down and chases Ichabod out, out over the bridge and all that stuff. So, seeing that that was that's that put that whole thing a story that i've loved forever like put it in a whole new light mm-hmm. um so yeah that story i love do you mind describing the motivation behind you all taking that trip there um well just we were gonna be i mean i've always loved the tim burton movie <laughs> and i loved the disney the the disney uh movie and i loved the book as a kid mm-hmm. i loved the book and we just thought it would be cool to go to the real sleepy hollow. Hmm. But it is funny when we got there, it wasn't what we expected. We stayed in Terrytown. Um, it isn't what we expected. It was kind of like, it just wasn't what we <laughs> expected. Okay. Uh, and so we almost left, we were going to leave. And then mm-hmm. we, we got up the, the second day we got there kind of late in the afternoon on one day and just did not seem like there was anything for us to do. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to leave the next day instead of staying an extra day. Mm-hmm. But we woke up the next day and we went for a walk and it turned out we were walking, we hiked beside the Hudson river for a while. And like, you could see New York city, uh, two hours away or mm-hmm. not two hours. It's like, it's like 20 miles down the river. You could see mm. New York City, the skyscrapers and everything. But we Really? Were, yeah, it was really cool. Um, and we decided to stay because we just, we found some other stuff to do. And then we started finding little historical things to go see and do. And then, you know, 
for whatever reason, we, we had a great day. We went out for breakfast with like Gene St. Gene and he drove up and met us and we, we had like a really good time. And then for whatever reason, we saved the Dutch church and the cemetery for last. Hmm. Um, even though they're vital pieces of that Ichabod, you know, the legend of Sleepy Hollow, we saved that for last and we went and they were, cl- it closes at five. They closed the gates at five. And we, were, we got there at four thirty, and we we're like, we're like, so we're walking around. We're the only people there. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the oldest churches in America, if mm. not the oldest church in America. It's really cool to see. And the graveyard's massive and just people buried in the 1700s and mm-hmm. 1600s and like way, way, you know, 1500s. It goes, it goes way back. Yikes. And, um, so we did have something really weird happen there too. And that is, and again, it's like history coming to life or story, mm-hmm. you know, fiction coming to, to becoming reality. The Van Tassels, um, I can never remember her name, but the one that Ichabod's like in love with. Mm-hmm. She was a real person and the Van Tassels were real people. So I had thought it'd be cool if we could find their grave, but we couldn't find it. it which if you see the cemetery, it makes sense. It's massive. And at one point, Tommy took off at a dead run, which you've seen him run away from us. And he took off running up this hill and then ran up and he stopped in front of this grave. And he said something like, what's she doing or something like that? You'd have to ask Adrian. She she would set me straight if I'm misremembering that part of it. But I swear he said, like, what's she doing there or something like that? And we came up and it was her grave. It was the Van Tassel lady's grave. Oh, my gosh. And... um. So there was that, and that was really cool. It was. <laughs> I can't explain insane. it to you. Like, I felt really emotional the entire time I was there. Huh. Like, even now, talking about it, I'm on the verge of tears for some reason. Huh. Just because that whole, th- that story is, like, really important mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I realized it until the last couple, for real, I'm getting, I'm getting weirdly it's okay. emotional. It's okay. Um <laughs> That like that might be why I tell stories. That one story. It might be that. Like if it's not that, it's gonna be like one of those. It's gonna be one of those stories that like my mom told me. Yeah. So yeah. That's fair. Do your Do you think your siblings have the same relationship with stories that you do? I think we do. I don't know. I don't know how much they have maintained it, but mm-hmm. my, my mom owned a bookstore. And, like, we grew up around storytellers. Mm-hmm. Like, even though they were relaying his, history, like, it was all about storytelling. Mm-hmm. And we all read. Like, I can remember there's there's a restaurant in Heggie, or um, in Canton called Heggie's. And it's a old school, like, diner, right? And there's, like, cool. a diner table. You know, there's, like, a mm-hmm. diner in front, diner counter. And my mom, used, my mom and dad would go sit at a table. A booth and the four four of us kids would sit at this counter and we'd all read we all have <laughs> we'd all be sitting we'd sit there for like two hours and we'd be reading and like you know my mom and dad would be sitting in their booth alone talking or whatever and we'd what? be sitting there reading like hardy boys and nancy drew and boxcar children and all that stuff and i remember like just we all read mm-hmm. i mean we we read non-stop as kids and then i you know when my mom started introducing me to like Harry Housen and Hammer Horror and all that kind of stuff. I was a little older. I was probably like 13 or 14 years old. Mm-hmm. But it was the same 
to me, like movies were never that different from books. It was all just like a different form of storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think my siblings probably do all have the same sort of like, I don't know that they're, they probably, they don't go down the rabbit hole of like, Carrie might, my oldest sister, but Carrie was probably the most like voracious reader in the group. But Sarah, my sister Sarah, is the one who bought Keel's Mothman Prophecies book hmm. when the movie came out. Is that how, is the movie's how you got introduced to Mothman? The movie's how I got introduced to the paranormal, period. Really? The book is, I didn't read the book, but the book is the first time I became aware that people genuinely believed that there were UFOs and and monsters and stuff, like real monsters. Really? Yeah, because she had the book. And I mean, that was 2002, so I was 20. I would have been like 21. Mm-hmm. But that was like the first time I was like, oh, people really think this stuff's real. <laughs> <laughs> and look at you now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, going back to Mothman, why do you think the UFO component is often left out? Well, this is from my perspective. That's what I am interested in. West Virginia and UFOs are inseparable. Interesting. So the the Mothman is something new. Although my movie, The Mothman Legacy, is going to argue it's really nothing new. But <laughs> um, it was something new, whereas UFOs were were seen around the area starting in the 50s up until present day but especially from like 65 through like 75 Mm -hmm. i know that period of time it was rampant like Mm. everywhere people were seeing ufos in the hills it was as common as seeing like a a falling star or something like they just Mm. saw them all the time do you prescribe to the Fordian flap theory for that? Or is that... I don't know. Oh, like the idea that a flap opened up and that's why there were so many sightings in that period? I guess not. Never mind. Well, I'm trying to think of how... Do you mean more like a... I think they... they... It was definitely a wave, but mm-hmm. it was a wave that lasted for... Okay, so what I'd compare it to is like the Hudson Valley, okay. where you had for like 11 years or whatever, ton, tons of sightings. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, but it lasted longer than 11 years. I mean, I would say 15, 20 years. Hmm. Went, went with Vils, Virginia, though. But that whole area, like, it's not like UFOs are only showing up on state lines. Like, they, <laughs> <laughs> like, like um, <laughs> I definitely think. I definitely think that it probably they they probably got overlooked by the media because the media had been covering it all along. They might not have intertwined the two, but like the the uh, the reg um, is that the register in Charleston, Charleston Herald. I think it's Herald Registers Point Pleasant. Okay, that's Charleston Herald had a mm-hmm. UFO desk. So, like, there were so many reports coming in that they just set up a, a UFO desk. Mm-hmm. So, when you look back at the the register mm-hmm. from 66 to 67, the only... You get a few, like, two or three moth or, like, bird reports. Yeah, that's but a, everything else is all... local media. UFO. That's super... What, what do they call that? Super local? Is that... Hyperlocal? Hyperlocal. Mm-hmm. That's like a... That's a hyperlocal store. That's a hyperlocal publication. And like that is one thing I can tell you is there's a difference between the way 
something like the Canton Repository or the Akron Beacon Journal or the Cleveland Plain Dealer, mm -hmm. there's a difference between the way publications like that report on this stuff and there's a difference between the way something like the Wadsworth Post or... Um, Okay, Wadsworth, I'll just use that. Yeah, it's our do that. Life, it's our local Wadsworth publication, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's solely for Wadsworth. Mm -hmm. They would not, if there was a UFO flap tomorrow where UFOs landed over or appeared in the sky and everyone saw them, they wouldn't cover it. But the Akron Beacon Journal, Cleveland Plain Dealer, Kitten Repository will cover something like that because they, hmm. I guess because they see it, the, the sales value in it. But I do see a reticence in really hyper local or mm -hmm. super, you know, very very localized media in reporting on that stuff. Why? Well, I'm assuming it's because they see it as a detriment to local perception or per perception of their region. Mm -hmm. Like they might see, like especially Point Pleasant. Like, they're going to see that as, like, well, we don't want people thinking Point Pleasant's just crazy people. Well, they have a lot of UFO reports. They just don't have a lot of Mothman. Yeah. Or the bird. Well, that could also be because we don't know how many sightings there were in Point Pleasant. Yeah. You know, like, we know what I covered in our movie, which how many sightings show up on the timeline? Maybe, like, 50? Mm -hmm. I don't even know if it's that. And some of those are, like, I mean, I had to really paint with a... <laughs> broad stroke to get on, to get those in there yeah because you're kind of just pulling from wherever you can i always have to give it up to that uh mothman wiki kid mm -hmm. because he's got the timeline and i pulled from his timeline a lot which is funny now he's posted our timeline on the mothman wiki really <laughs> so, so, so you're like, like dude we drew, we drew a lot of this from you which i've told him before uh but yeah, that is interesting. I don't know other than I've seen that. I've seen that. But if they were covering UFOs, yeah, that doesn't make as much sense. Although mm -hmm. UFOs were more, maybe more accepted at that point in time. Than the birds. Especially, especially in West Virginia and, the, and mm -hmm. the Ohio Valley in general, I would, I would assume. They're being seen everywhere by all sorts of people. Hmm. Whereas I don't think the Mothman sightings were not like they weren't being accepted there were people seeing it despite what keel says this was not i don't think it was widespread sightings of the mothman you know hmm. 200 reports is has always seemed over over the top to me yeah so okay so i know we've already talked about this so i hate to go back to it but yeah. What do you attribute to the idea that people from other places are kind of connecting the Mothman legend to their hometowns or their areas too? So not only Chicago, but like there's reports of Mothman before 9-11. Like there's those photos of Mothman in New York before 9-11. It's this, but it's the same thing that towns do with crybaby bridges and gateways to hell and, and Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean... <clears throat> Like, are you asking if I'm offended? <laughs> no, I guess I'm more so just curious. Like, why do you think that happens? Like, why? I mean, why does, I don't know why any of that. I don't know what, 
it's 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 weird because Mothman is like a singular being or entity, mm-hmm. and and so it's different from banshees or mm-hmm. like the Martown banshee or whatever because or Bigfoot because Bigfoots mm-hmm. are supposed to you know, but at the same time I guess Bigfoot at, during the '60s when they were reporting on that a lot of people didn't think of Bigfoot as anything other than a singular being wandering mm-hmm. the wilderness. So mm-hmm. so it's the same thing. I don't know why that happens. Do you think, like Bigfoot, then there will be this acceptance of multiple... Oh, I feel mm. like you kind of see that, like multiple moth men. I don't. I think it's different because... it's The reason I think it's different is whatever Mothman is or was, I, I do think there's only one. <laughs> and... And I, but I also think that there's a lot of like different stuff that's getting lumped into the Mothman category mm-hmm. and muddying the waters. So you might not, we're more than likely never going to know like what actually happened in Point Pleasant. When it comes to the reports we're covering in the Mothman legacy, I think you start to maybe be able to peel back the layers on the onion because mm-hmm. Lee's talking about pterodactyls and someone else is talking about a, a some sort of creature that comes through the walls to warn them about their dad dying and you know like the, mm-hmm. it just seems like there's a lot of different things at play and go back and watch the mothman of point pleasant and you're going to see it's the same thing even back in 66 and 67 mm-hmm. so you got lawrence gray talking about a man standing in his room mm-hmm. that he perceived as being the mothman but that's totally different from what, like, Bob Bosworth said he saw in the North Power Plant. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. I got off track again, I think. No, you're good. I, I mean, I guess, like, from an academic standpoint, it's just, like, struggling to figure out how all these different pieces become synonymous with one another. Because mm-hmm. they seem so different. It's so, like, why is that happening? I mean, maybe it goes back to that question of genre that we've been talking about, but... But what drives that or like what mm-hmm. motivates that? I don't know. Especially for something paranormal or unexplainable where it seems like if your town has a creature, like a winged creature, what would be the motivation for connecting that to Point Pleasant? Wouldn't you rather make your own creature? But it maybe the branding is so popular you're excited to have your own. Uh, that might come down to who's selling the story. Which, is it the newspaper or is it the local tourism? Because Yeah. Or is it an outside investigator? Yeah. Yeah, like you get into Gray Barker and <laughs> you better better watch out. Um, so with this, and I know I've brought this up to you before and I yeah. bring this up all the time, but like the Indrid Cold Woodrow Derenberger connection to Mothman mm-hmm. fascinates me and confuses me a little bit. Like why is that always lumped in? Just because... Yeah, I mean, we weren't even going to cover cold mm-hmm. in in the Mothman of Point Pleasant, and we barely do. I mean, it's mentioned real briefly. Is that I sort it's, of suspect it's, it's a keel thing? Or it might be a keel thing. Geographically, they're not even that close. No, <laughs> it's, it's like weird. What, it's like an hour and mineral away. wells. Yeah, it's not that close. Um, and there's nothing necessarily to directly connect the two. the The, the reason we used it was to help set up it i'll tell you the one thing as a storyteller does Mm -hmm. is it helps relay quickly that there is a lot more going on than just 
Mothman sightings. Because mm-hmm. you so, get that Men in Black yeah, UFO thing. You're you're setting up the whole high strangeness of the case really easily. Mm-hmm. So as a plot device, it's great. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't know that it really has like a lot to to do, if anything, to do with that story. There's nothing connecting Darren Berger to the Mothman, right? There's nothing connecting. Nothing cold. that I can ever think of. Yeah, there's nothing connecting cold to the. I Except mean, maybe through Keel, classic right? kind didn't, of. Didn't cold communicate with Keel? Contact E case, did it? I might be conflating the movie. See in the, the book. movie in the movie, it's cold, but mm-hmm. I don't think that that. It's just another Men in Black. I, I think so. I don't. I don't. I hate to do this. I haven't read the book in a while, in the Mothman prophecies oh. since we made the Mothman in Point Pleasant in 2017. It's okay. I don't want to necessarily speculate. It's it's more so just fascinating to me that it gets all kind of glommed together there uh, same with partridge merle, merle partridge story but isn't his connected because they saw the dog on the side of the road so <laughs> so that's the problem with that there's a reason i left that out of our movie the dog yeah the dog doesn't even get mentioned i don't think in the movie in our movie i might be wrong i thought the dancing I, lights are aren't they the dancing lights are in the movie the dog getting taken. I don't but I don't think, think we mentioned the dog. We mentioned the dog running away. We don't mention that that supposedly the dog was then seen by them the next day, mm-hmm. because that part of the story is kind of unverifiable. Wasn't it seen on the side of the road by, when the police were driving back to the TNT area? By I, the scarberries and mallets, I thought, or by the police. Either way, it happened that know. that yeah. night. It was like they when they were driving back in, they saw it. When they were coming out, they didn't, or something. Or yeah, maybe but, when the scarberries and mallets were leaving. Drive drive to Point Pleasant today, and you'll see dogs mm-hmm. dead on the side of the road, or any of those back. Mm-hmm. People own dogs in West Virginia, and they don't keep them on a leash, and they don't let them in the house, so they're mm-hmm. just roaming around. Mm-hmm. So dogs get killed. And it was, what, a German Shepherd or something? I mean, it's not a weird, it's not like some strange dog breed. So were you at the festival three or four years ago where they had the German Shepherd statue and they were like Mothman's first victim? I didn't see that, but... Isn't that fascinating, though? Because that implies that everyone on the bridge is next. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. I know, it just just kind of creepy. freaked me out a little bit. I don't like, I really don't like connecting... (laughs) The, the Mothman with the bridge. It's weird because you can't, they're inseparable in a way. But I think it also depends on how you view the story. To my mind, they're inseparable because the the people I've talked to in Point Pleasant put them together not as the harbinger of doom thing. Yeah, but just like one more. But weird... just like this is what ended us talking about yeah. it. Yeah. Because it was so, like every interview I've done, with Denny and Jeff and yes. Ashley, it's always, it was so serious that the Mothman thing, mm-hmm. we just, it wasn't fun yeah. anymore. Yeah, that's the way I, my, that's the way I've always read the people there that we interviewed about it too. They don't, they, they will, they're very adamant about not connecting them in the Harbinger like mm-hmm. thing. I'm trying to think too if Jeff has ever mentioned someone that he interviewed directly that claimed to see the Mothman on the bridge, or around the bridge, or flying over the bridge. There's, the problem is there's there's like there's there's fake photographs of like the Mothman hanging out on the bridge, I know. supposedly like right before the collapse. It's well, kind of and when you go to town, they there's like people who I guess live in the area selling like 
magnets and stuff yeah. with Mothman painted on them next to the bridge. Yeah. So it sort of is like this weird conflicting. Yeah. Some people putting it out there and some people saying like, please don't do that. The thing that always comes back to me is C- Carolyn. She lost a son and a, and an I think ex-husband at the time, but a husband on the bridge. And like, I, I can't imagine something like that happening to your loved ones. And then years later, it just becomes kind of a pop culture. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Like, think about it. Like, like just becomes a pop culture moment in in time or something yeah. you know, like this thing that's not taken seriously at all and there's memes and jokes about it being made well i mean i wonder if that's like the chernobyl oh yeah chernobyl is yeah. huge well mothman was also seen blackbird of death and all that. at chernobyl yeah which i i'm excited to get into richard talking about how that's all crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah at least he was very he he was so interesting because he was he's so connected to it by the virtue of doing that movie, but then he also seems very like disconnected from it now. Yeah, yeah. Which is how, yeah. I mean, that's how I'd be. I don't think you can ever be now, though. I can't now, and and I keep finding new aspects to to the Mothman story. Mm-hmm. Like I I guaranteed we would never make a Mothman a Point Pleasant sequel when we made it because we got asked a lot. But I think I changed really slowly because I think the night that we did the premiere at the low, I think someone asked us that. And I think I said, it's a possibility that. Hmm. But I remember saying no to most. And now we're working on another one, you know, a a sequel. And then I think I think we have uh, I think I have an idea for what I could do for a third Mothman story. Do you see a trend for people in recent years falling in love with the legend? Of Mothman? Like more people? Yeah. Why? I, I don't know. <laughs> well, the same reason we love it. Like, it really is, like, it's different from everything else. It's mm-hmm. different from Bigfoot, and it's different from Flatwoods. And, well, not Flatwoods, but it's different from... It's yeah, it's from different from Flatwoods. Flatwoods. It's different from every urban legend, because... Or legend, or <laughs> whatever. Because you've got... You have a beginning, middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. It's a three-act story. And and yeah, you can... Like, if you like that three-act story, well, great, because there's more going on. Like, here's more for you to look <laughs> at. And then, like, you can watch all the documentaries you, you, you want about, like, other stuff that's happened in the area. But there's... I think people get pulled in by that initial story. Mm-hmm. The 66, 67 stuff. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot more to it. I mean, like the Birdman. I I want to figure that stuff out. The Birdman sightings. Isn't Bat Squatch also in West Virginia too? I know it's like a Mount St. Helens thing, but aren't or no Sheep Squatch is West Virginia. Yeah, Sheep Squatch. Bat Squatch is like Texas and I want to say Kentucky maybe. It's I know it's Oregon because of the Mount St. Helens stuff. I don't know about that. Yeah, it's like the UFO Bat Squatch connection. Yeah, um, West Virginia has a ton, and what I'm going to argue with our Mothman like a movie is that it's because it's baked into their, the culture of the people that settled the area, and the fact that that area is still like, a lot of the people that are still in Appalachia, their roots are, like Celtic, Scottish, German, mm-hmm. Native American, and the stories that they tell, 
are variations on the the same stories that are in their bloodline, like mm-hmm. that have been passed down generation to generation. That's my the argument I'm making. How do you think people feel or will feel about that? They probably will miss it. I think I I don't know why you would. There's nothing to be. St- I'm not arguing that that stuff isn't real. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the maybe the Mothman followed the Celts over. <laughs> I don't know. Like there, are, there is a Mothman of England. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And and like, mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Like the thing for me about the Mothman story is that it really the the more you look at it, it seems. To, and this is what I told you like a long time ago. And you, uh, I forget what you said, but. Uh, <laughs> To me, the Mothman was just a new face on something that has existed for for centuries. Mm-hmm. So there, I, there's a lot of similarities between Mothman and Banshees and mm-hmm. and Sanag and all those mytholo- the myths that we are going to explore as well. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I am curious to hear how people oh, the, respond I'm sorry, to that. the point I was making with that <laughs> is that that all comes back to the idea of stories being told and passed down. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, I think that... I would suspect that some people would find that an unpopular theory. What? That it's, a, it's like a, a new face on something old. Yeah. Not that I necessarily disagree with it, but mm-hmm. that I think people love the idea of something that they're into being new. Yeah. Or novel. Sure. But none of this is. It's like Bigfoot's not new or novel. Mm-hmm. It's not like a big Bigfoot story has been told forever. It was couched as Wildman or uh, Woodwose or whatever. Like it's, if anything, it might give it more credence, like mm-hmm. that there's something there. Do you think anyone would have any concern about the decentralization of Mothman from Point from Pleasant? Point Pleasant. Yeah. If you know that story, you know it was never centralized to Point Pleasant to begin with. There are as many reports that were reported on in newspapers from that time period outside of Point Pleasant as there were inside Point Pleasant. So then how does Point Pleasant get that association? Because of the 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 there were a large number of reports that took place there mm-hmm. and there didn't seem to be another s- sort of location where it was being seen or reported on mm-hmm. with as great a frequency as Point Pleasant. And then the bridge collapsed. And then Keel wrote about it. And well, like what would happen if Keel had been in Hawking when instead of Point Pleasant? What if he ended up in Hawking instead of Point Pleasant? Because there were UFO reports in Hawking. Mm-hmm. There were what if he had been in what if he'd spent more time in Gallup Police instead yeah. of Point Pleasant? It's right across the river, and the bridge collapsed there, too. And as many people in Gallup Police lost loved ones as they did in Point Pleasant. I mean... Wasn't it more, even? Probably I, I was. It's so. a bigger town. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe he would have... I don't know. I don't know how that stuff works. I would never want to take the Mothman from Point Pleasant, though. That's their that's their guy. Mm-hmm. And I, so I totally get it. I don't think it decentralizes it. It just gives you... Point Pleasant is a headquarters... Or uh, it is like it's yeah. the Mothman headquarters. Mm-hmm. It's where you can celebrate, you know, the icon. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean other places don't have their own variation of that story. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because think of it like okay, so Bluff Creek or Willow Creek is Bigfoot 
HQ mm-hmm. in, in, in America, mm-hmm. right? And we all think of the Pacific Northwest as the home of Bigfoot, mm-hmm. like Oregon and Washington. Kind of but um, like that doesn't mean you can't celebrate that story everywhere else where people claim to see Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess the, there is going to be the difference that, well, I don't know. No, it's interesting because I think it's fast because I'm interested in how legends migrate and mm-hmm. where they are going to. And obviously, we haven't really talked about it, but I feel like your films are one of the big ways that people get introduced to it. Big wastes? Big wastes. Okay. Yeah, they're a big waste. Oh, okay. No, a big way that, that people find out about it. Yeah. Have you had that happen? Yeah. Like people I mean, said that? Jeff told us, um, Jeff told us when we were there that he hears almost daily people say they've seen that so like uh, um and we've been told uh we were told by someone from florida this year uh they found the movie on amazon prime and that was the first time at the Montana festival because of the movie that's awesome but that's the thing that's like one of those things too that like because we aren't on tv mm-hmm. the world we exist in does not realize the reach that our movies have hmm. because they're they're not they don't have the same kind of like cash cachet exposure yeah except they do i, I mean like they oh yeah they, they get sense. as many views as they get more some of these movies get more views than move than television shows i know like popular television shows No, it's good because I meant to earlier on in the interview ask about like where do you think people are learning about let Mothman specifically like where does that come from like how do you think people find out about it Mothman prophecies movie and then still in 2020 sure because I think it's still fairly popular it still gets talked about a lot and then clickbait articles and YouTube YouTube channels and our movie Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe like travel channel docs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Knowing what I know about how many views our movie has, I have to put our movie at the, at the top of the like visual medium stuff that people are watching that is mm-hmm. introducing our movies in the, in the top three. So I have more I want to ask you, but we're kind of running low on time and I need to take stuff down and you want these files. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... is proudly presented on Wadsworth Community Radio 97.1 FM or streaming live at wadsworthcommunityradio.com. It is proudly underwritten by Thurber's Jewelers on the Square in downtown Wadsworth.